Welcome to this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge. For each week, I offer 15 to 20 minute answers to tough theological and pastoral questions. This show is a 100% listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. And for those who don't know, our mission at relearn.org is to bring the church back to the Bible. For bold daily encouragements, just join the over 500,000 Christians who follow us on social media by searching for relearn.org on any platform. Okay, everyone, Uh, it's undeniable that we are living in a hyper-emotional era. And as many of you know, this uh, has spread into the church. And for the past decade, and maybe more, uh, everything is about experience and music and ambiance and entertainment. And even more, the focus has shifted from the biblical text to modern prophecy and spiritual experiences and healings and miracles. And some churches even have their own prophets and healers and apostles. And uh, they preach that others can have access to these spiritual supernatural gifts if they just have enough faith. There are some churches that even offer schools for supernatural ministry, something that you can actually learn, uh, implying that it's basically not a gift, but a skill that you have access to um, as a believer. Unfortunately, uh, many Christians fall prey to these unbiblical ideas because they lack a theology of spiritual gifts. Today, I'm going to be breaking down um, part of this discussion. We're not going to go for a full deep dive on the theology of spiritual gifts, but I will be discussing the difference between continuationism and cessationism, and why I have sided with the latter. But before we dive in, I just want to make two quick announcements before we get into this episode. Uh, Number one, I'm planning to take a semi-sabbatical for the next three months starting in March. Uh, So our team has made special arrangements for the podcast. So for the first five Wednesdays of March 2021, we will be airing five interviews that I recorded with five incredible theologians. We have uh, Dr. Steve Lawson talking about expository preaching. Uh, Dr. James White uh, I spoke with about apologetics. Uh, Doug Wilson, we talked about the biblical family. Uh, Dr. Tom Askell uh, from Founders Ministry, we talked about boldness in ministry. And Dr. Dustin Benj, uh, we are talking about church history. And so it's going to be an incredible series. It's called the Theologian Series, and we have several more uh, interviews coming out later in the year. Uh, For the month of April and part of May, we're going to be re-airing our top seven most popular episodes out of the, I don't know, by that time, maybe 140 total episodes. And then I'm going to return with a new season of Real Christianity uh, with a focus on Uh, some more verse-by-verse exposition of really um, popular biblical passages. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'll stop the topical um, issues, but I'm going to spend a little bit more time tackling some important passages of Scripture and breaking them down expositionally for you. So that's announcement number one. Uh, Announcement number two is um, Reformation Seminary. I want to talk about that. Thousands of Christians... Um, have planted house churches in the past several months due to COVID and some of the government regulations, especially in states like New York and California and Oregon, uh, Washington. 
And unfortunately, the vast majority of these churches are more like Bible studies and not biblical house churches. Um, furthermore, you know, many of them are not led by uh, biblically qualified and theologically trained pastors. Uh, they're, they're mostly led by maybe someone who's, you know, spiritually mature and was just willing to say, hey, let's just do this together. Let's just start meeting together as families or as individuals here uh, on Sunday instead. Um, but we have to remember that Jesus did not send out the disciples until they had three years of training. And so our ministry, uh, we saw a weakness in the current seminary system. And, you know, first, um, you know, many of the seminaries that are out there uh, were very clinical, and they kind of turned theology into a science instead of a reverent and glorious study of God's Word. Um, Second, most seminary programs were far too long and too expensive for the average pastor, especially someone that maybe has a family, uh, kids, a full-time job. Um, so let me give you kind of a parallel example. In the medical field, there's EMTs, nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, surgeons, brain surgeons. Um, and, you know, you have all of these people that are uh, across this spectrum. In the seminary world, you basically have EMTs, which is like the mature Christian at the church who's a lay person and has read the entire Bible and maybe led some Bible studies. And then the very next step on the continuum or on the spectrum is, uh, you know, someone that's got, you know, four or five years of seminary, you know, 10,000 hours and $80,000 to go through it. And they're a scholar. And so there's this kind of huge spectrum and there's not much in the middle. And, you know, in the medical world, you know, the nurses and the nurse practitioners are actually the ones that do the majority of the work. And so we really wanted to, to design our seminary program after a one-year program that really kind of fits in that nurse, nurse practitioner space where it's, you're not untrained, um, but you're not also a scholar. You don't necessarily need, I mean, I'm, I've spent many years in seminary and training and not everyone needs, you know, several years of Hebrew and Greek training. Um, it's good, and I love having that training, but not everybody needs that. And so our, our program was specifically designed to really train up biblically qualified men to plant and pastor a biblical house church in one year. And we cover core gospel theology, biblical interpretation, biblical and systematic theology, preaching training, biblical counseling, pastoral development, uh, family discipleship, church structure, missiology, and and church membership. We also deal uh, directly with issues that are specific to the house church uh, expression of church or the house church community. We talk about gender roles in a house church and children in the house church. What do you do with them? How does that work? How does giving work? How do you multiply when your church gets too big? How do you invite guests? What does worship look like? Uh, and, and several other issues. And so if you're interested in rolling or you know somebody that is interested in rolling, we are having our second group of men uh, who are starting in June 2021. So we have a group of about 20 guys that have gone through for our first group, and our second group is starting up in June. And uh, we already have it maybe 25% full. And so uh, we'd love to have you guys apply. Uh, the program's very affordable. Um, 
It's taught by myself and several other qualified professors, seminary graduates, PhDs, um, and uh, seasoned pastors. And you can apply at reformationseminary.com. Again, space is limited, but you can just go to reformationseminary.com and just uh, apply there, and we'll set up a time to get together and talk with you. Okay, today's question comes from Alana in Naples, Florida. She asks, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, but now attend a non-denominational fellowship in my hometown. However, our pastor has been talking more and more about modern prophecy and times, casting out spirits by the authority, by our authority as Christians, healing by having enough faith, and many other hyper-spiritual and almost mystic practices. The more I read the scriptures and the more I read about church history, the more I wonder if what we're doing is actually biblical. For example, when I look, or when I look at the past 2,000 years of church history, there is very little, if any, of these practices recorded. So, Pastor Dale, my question is this. Are these supernatural spiritual gifts still available and active in the church, or are they only something that was around during the inauguration of the church? In other words, I know there are two theological positions on miraculous spiritual gifts, those who say they are still here and those who say they have ceased. Dale, can you please inform me where you stand on this issue? Okay, good question, Alana. Um, thank you for that, and I think this will be a very helpful discussion. Um, I think this is an especially important matter for our current generation. Okay, We need to know what the Bible says about spiritual gifts so that we can separate and identify what is genuine and biblical from what is false and mystical or uh, emotional. And I'll be basing, actually, my response today uh, to this question off of an article that I wrote, and it's available for you to read at relearn.org, and it's titled, What Does a Cessationist Believe? It's a shorter article. Today's podcast will actually be a little bit longer and more in-depth, but it's available for you there if you'd like to read it. I'll include it in the show notes of this episode. Okay, so uh, as Alana stated in her question, there are two groups in the church. The first is called continuationists. They're, these are uh, people who, uh, Christians, who believe that the possessive, miraculous gifts of the New Testament are continuing on today, that these miraculous gifts can be possessed by individuals, and they're still happening now. And this group has a wide range of people uh, in it, from radical Pentecostal movements um, and churches maybe like Bethel and Prosperity Gospel, you know, folks on that side, uh, all the way to a more conservative continuationism held by people like maybe John Piper, uh, Wayne Grudem, and Sam Storms. <clears throat> the second is called the cessationist, right? So it's based off the word seizing. So they see these; they believe these gifts seized. So they're called a cessationist. Um, the cessationists believe that the possessive miraculous gifts of the New Testament have seized at the death of the apostles and the completion uh, of the Bible. And this view is, I believe, is the or is the, the general reformed position and is held by people like John MacArthur, Vodi Bauckham, R.C. Sproul, Charles Spurgeon, uh, and many more. 
Um, now, while like a liberal continuationist and a classic cessationist, they would likely struggle to have fellowship with one another. Um, I will say a conservative continuationist like a Piper and a classic cessationist like MacArthur, um, they would not struggle to have fellowship with one another. So there's kind of a spectrum um, that we're talking about here. And I'm going to talk about mostly the extreme spectrum because I think that they are pretty loud and proud in the church today, especially on social media. So personally, I am a cessationist, and I'd like to briefly explain what a cessationist believes and why, because I think a lot of people have a false, incorrect definition. Uh, They think that cessationists believe that there's no spiritual gifts. That is not the case. And I remember when I first encountered the cessationist view in a video by Dr. Tom Schreiner. Uh, I'll actually link that in the show notes as well. And the video is very helpful. I recall the, um, the difficulty I encountered in finding a succinct explanation of what a cessationist really believes. Everything out there was these articles and videos that were like hours long, robust theological defenses for the position and not just a practical explanation. So, um, so to begin, I just want to be practical um, and I want to offer you some background on spiritual gifts. Uh, there are arguably seven like spiritual gift lists uh, in the New Testament, and these lists make up approximately 20 spiritual gifts um, or gifted offices like apostles, pastors, teachers, etc. Now, theologically speaking, um, these 20 gifts are broken down into two classic or uh, two classifications of spiritual gifts. Um, and the first is the temporary miraculous gifts. And the second one is the permanent ministering gifts. So those are the two camps that a cessationist would put these 20 gifts, those two classifications. So we'll talk about this. Basically, uh, 11 permanent ministering gifts, and there's nine temporary miraculous gifts. And so let's start with the temporary miraculous gifts. So I, I believe the possession of the revelatory and miraculous gifts of the Spirit seized at the death of the apostles and the completion of the Scriptures. Now, when I say revelatory, I mean people who possess the spiritual gift to speak divine revelation on behalf of God, basically apostolic authority writing God's words down. Um, Now, when I say, um, yeah, I, I should actually say, you know, I believe these revelatory and miraculous gifts associated with the apostles and prophets were uh, given specifically for three reasons. Number one was the production of the canon of Scripture, the completed Bible. Number two was the establishing of the church or the authority of the church. And number three is the authentication of their message to a fallen world. In fact, um, some theologians have actually called these temporary gifts um, um, confirmatory gifts, as you know, basically their central purpose in the Scripture was to confirm, um, to validate God's messengers who were called to establish the new covenant era. They didn't have the Scriptures at this point, so they had signs and wonders coming to confirm um, the message that they did carry by by word of mouth ma- or by by verbal. Um, by verbal action. So we actually see this testified in the scriptures, Acts 20 or 2.22. Peter says, 
when he's preaching uh, at Pentecost, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So God attested um, about Christ through mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Hebrews 2, 3 through 4 says, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, the apostles, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.12, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Acts um, 19.11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Um, now, now, signs and wonders were not only, um, you know, the mark of an apostle. Uh, that, that wasn't the only mark, I should say. Uh, Acts 1, 21 through 22 actually presents further qualifications that include, um, you know, being an eyewitness account to the resurrected Lord. Um, you know, that, these are other further uh, qualifications of this gifted office, spiritual office of apostleship. And I say this because um, I, I don't believe there are or have ever been any God-ordained apostles since the death of the 12 apostles. And we'll get back in a second to talking about the validation message that this was a purpose for validating. But I just want to talk about, you know, God used these certain individuals, specifically the apostles we're talking about now, who they are. There's many people out there in the world that are claiming that they're apostles, and I want to kind of refute that for a second. So um, I, I don't believe that there are any God-ordained apostles. And additionally, as a cessationist, I, I, I don't believe there are or have ever been any God-ordained prophets. So we'll talk about that as well, kind of revealing God's will to his people since the closing of the apostolic era. Um, Ephesians 2.2 2 says a really important statement. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, the Bible says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the New Testament church. And I don't know how many foundations your house has, but mine has one. Okay, we don't lay foundations, build upon them, and then lay additional foundations. That's what the Mormon church has done and the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have done. Um, they've laid another foundation on top of the already existing foundation, and it's heresy, and it needs to be rejected. So um, I also want to talk about, I, I don't believe that there are anyone, um, individuals in the church today who possess miraculous gifts for the ministry, um, including, which we just talked about, the apostleship or prophecy, and with a capital P, meaning infallible words from God. Um, healing, when I say healing, I mean, um, I don't think they possess the gift of immediate healing of, you know, like the biblical example, blindness, leprosy, paralysis, right? Um, I don't believe that people possess the ability to perform wonders, raising people from the dead, feeding thousands with little, changing water into wine. Um, 
speaking in phonetic tongues, meaning the possession of, a, of an ability to basically speak the gospel in real foreign languages to the speaker for the proclamation of the gospel, or interpreting phonetic tongues. Um, uh, discerning, the sp- uh, discerning of spirits, right? Identifying and casting out certain types of demons. Um, and, and even, uh, I, I don't believe that people possess the ability to have words of supernatural wisdom or knowledge, meaning that they're knowing the thoughts of others or of the future. Now, I'm not saying that God can't heal someone through your prayers, or that God can't give a Christian, by the way of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural insight about a particular situation. No, what I am saying is that I think these miracles can still happen, but I'm convinced that they are not possessed gifts as you would see them in the apostolic era in the New Testament. Um, And the other thing is, they're not normative, Okay. In other words, they are miraculous, which by definition means that they are extremely rare. Um, they're not possessed, and when they do happen, they are rare. So they're not normative to our Christian experience. Where, again, that's slightly different from the New Testament. That time and that era when those gifts were possessed, they weren't that rare. They were happening regularly. There was a season of the church that was just firing off miracles left and right, People were walking by Peter's shadow and getting healed, you know? So that, that's a unique time. So another point I want to make in regard to people who, again, claim they possess the gift of, say, healing. There's a major difference between the biblical examples of healing, and again, this is like the immediate restoration of physically visible issues like lifelong blindness, muteness, deafness, leprosy, withered body parts, paralysis, epilepsy, Right? Uh, and there, there's a big difference between those biblical examples of immediate, visible healing and these modern, quote, healers who are healing people's lower back pain and, you know, taking their knee pain away and their headaches are gone and they're making a leg a half inch longer. I mean, there's a big difference there. Okay, the, the first group is an undeniable um, miracles and was used by Jesus and the apostles, again, specifically to validate the gospel message that they were from God. While the second group is, you know, inconclusive miracles uh, and almost always used to glorify the person that's performing the act. So again, we've talked about the miraculous and the revelatory gifts, which were possessed by Christ and the apostles and a handful of other individuals in the, in the apostolic era. Now let's briefly talk about the ministering gifts, right? These are the ongoing permanent ministering gifts, which, again, were were given to believers for all time for the edification of the body for the purpose of the ministry. And so the the permanent ministering gifts, these are, the Bible lists 11 of them, and these, again, are non-miraculous or non-revelatory spiritual gifts. Um, And these are possessive gifts, you know, mean that you actually have one of them, um, and you know, there's an argument and discussion if you have multiple, but um, you at least have one of them if you're a believer. And, and they include, um, the first I'm going to say is prophecy, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that, because I just said that prophecy doesn't go on, and why am I saying that it does? So I talked about before, capital P prophecy. I'm going to talk now about lowercase p prophecy. Now, according to the New Testament, uh, the definition of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3 states, 
But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That's a very different um, definition of prophecy uh, than the foretelling of biblical truth. Uh, sorry, the, the foretelling of, of future that's coming uh, from the prophet's mouth that is authoritative and we are called to obey. So the, the, the lowercase p prophecy, which we have now, is not a foretelling of the future according to God's perfect revelation, but is actually a foretelling of God's truth according to Scripture. And so that's, um, you know, the, the Old Testament um, prophets like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah or even maybe say John the Baptist, right, is, you know, the last Old Testament prophet, first New Testament preacher kind of thing. John the Baptist, I mean, these are infallible words of what's coming from the Lord. Um, that's a very different capital P prophecy than the New Testament prophecy, which is, again, more like a foretelling of, future, of, of, uh, foretelling of truth according to God's word, um, which, again, another word for that is just preaching, biblical preaching. So that's the first of the 11. Number two is a teaching gift. Um, it means that you have not just an ability to teach, but you have a desire to do it. Uh, number three is uh, faith. Uh, you have an increased faith uh, beyond just believing in Christ, but just an ability to endure uh, and believe and trust in the Lord in a, in a deep way that's encouraging to the body. Uh, evangelism, um, you know, if anybody knows Ray Comfort, man, that guy's got the gift of evangelism. You can't, the guy can't go into a coffee shop without preaching the gospel to 10 people. Um, number five is discernment right? Having um, discernment of, of, you know, wisdom and understanding what's right and wrong. And uh, mercy is number six. Uh, just a heart for people, a heart for helping and loving and serving. Um, these people, a lot of them are on the mission field. A lot of them are doing, you know, gospel-centered, humanitarian-like acts. Uh, number seven, uh, exhortation. Number eight, giving. Number nine, shepherding, which is a pastoral, pastoral office. Number 10 is administration, just organization, you know, helping put things together. Uh, number 11 is helps. Um, and this is, again, just that servanthood heart. Um, and so these are spiritual gifts, again, endowed by the Holy Spirit to Christians according to the will of God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So that was where I got that passage or that idea of, you know, you have at least one gift. Um, <clears throat> so I, I believe that these possessive ministering gifts are continuing on today um, and furthering the edification of the body according to the truth of Scripture. And I believe this because if you travel across the world and you visit, say, 100 churches in 50 different countries, you're going to see an abundance of these ministering gifts. But what you won't see is the type of miraculous gifts seen in the scriptures being possessed by individuals. You're not going to see New Testament-like possession of gifts where there's just miracles happening all over the place. You know, if you did, you would also see the same crowds that are flocking to see these people for healing as they did with Jesus. Okay, but you don't see that. That's not, that's not true to our Christian experience. Furthermore, um, if you believe that the miraculous gifts are still possessive gifts, uh, 
and you believe, as the scripture says, that God gives these Christians spiritual gifts for the edification of the body, then you must admit that God, uh, by this kind of low manifestation of miraculous gifts, is, you know, purposefully withholding his blessing and spiritual nourishment for his church. Um, which again is obviously a blasphemous notion and the only sound conclusion um, for the vastly absent nature of these miraculous gifts is that they have ceased and that any and all miracles since have been produced by God in isolated experience or uh, circumstances according to his will. Um, but they're not normative. They're not possessive. It was for a time to validate the message before the doctrines of, of, of the words of God were inscripturated and put in um, to an authoritative base for the church. I mean, that, that's just what they were there for. Now, to be clear, um, I believe that God still heals people, and I believe that the Lord may, in a particular circumstance of evangelism, permit the isolated experience of phonetic tongues or even a prophetic word of knowledge in the, in the, you know, spiritual conversion of his children. I'm not going to put God in a box. God can do what he wants to do. But again, I believe these isolated and miraculous experiences are not possessive gifts by any individual or believer, but are facilitated sovereign actions of God through his people for his glory, according to his will. So um, now let me just briefly touch on prophecy in tongues, because I think that these are greatly misunderstood in the church today. And um, I think it's important to have at least a, a foundation of theological discussion. And speaking of prophecy, capital P, uh, and tongues, I, I believe that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Uh, in, in speaking first to prophecy, I believe what the modern charismatic movement has deemed as genuine, infallible, capital P prophecy is actually nothing more than valid or invalid spiritual promptings, uh, discerning or foolish predictions, um, spirit-led or emotional-led uh, illumination, or sound, or maybe heretical, preaching, okay? In other words, I, I think that what many people call prophecy um, is nothing more than a spiritual prompting or a wise prediction, and they just don't have a theological understanding of spiritual gifts, and they just call it that because that's what they've heard. Um, now, they, they, they may be legitimate spiritual promptings or wise predictions, but they might also be invalid, emotional, and foolish things as well. And so as you can see, um, you know, this type of, of, you know, interpretive nightmare that comes with people who say they, you know, have a word from the Lord. Um, if they just said, I, hey, you know, hey, brother or sister, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to encourage you with some scripture, then we'd have no problems. If they, they you know, called their futuristic prophecies, if they just called them simple, hey, predictions— then again, we'd have no problems, but that's simply not the case. So now we've talked about prophecy, but I want to talk a little bit about tongues. Uh, I believe the biblical definition of this gift was both for preaching the gospel in real phonetic 
foreign language um, that, that a person didn't know or study. And I also believe it's for, a, you know, a, a miraculous sign to uh, unbelievers that are validating the gospel message. Um, uh, the theologian um, John Napier from the 1500s, he actually talks about this. He says, in any discussion of tongues, it is important to note that they were not just spiritual gifts. They were also designated as a sign gift and part of a cluster of gifts named by Jesus in Mark 16. These signs, these sign gifts were given to individuals to authenticate the message of the gospel. The early Christians had no New Testament in the early years following the ascension of Christ. As the gospel went out to the Jew and Gentile alike, it needed the witness of the signs to undergird its authority until the written scriptures established that authority base. And again, this is written in the 1500s about this theological perspective of the cessation of the miraculous gifts. John MacArthur uh, explains tongues a little bit more um, when he says uh, in one of his books, and I quote, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 5 through 17, and 27 through 28, the foreign language, that is tongues, requires translation so that those in the congregation who did not know the language could be edified. While many charismatics claim to have the gift of tongues, generally an untranslatable, non-phonetic, extra-biblical, angelic tongue, it is clear that no one today possesses a definition of tongues like those defined in Scripture or demonstrated by the early church in the apostolic era, end quote. So, uh, really, you know, to conclude, I, I believe that modern charismatics have either a, fabricated false giftings and spiritual experiences, or what is probably more likely, B, they've confused, overestimated, or incorrectly designated the ordinary ministerial gifts of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. They've confused them or overestimated or incorrectly designated them with the miraculous and revelatory gifts that have seized. And I believe that this kind of spiritual over-credentialization of people in the church calling themselves prophets and apostles and healers has created a great deal of confusion in the church over spiritual giftedness and has actually generated ambiguity on the boundaries of scriptural authority and spiritual authority in the church. And by that I mean, uh, I believe that those who are continuationists not only are making a statement on the nature of the charismatic status, but they're they're also indirectly attacking the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, and, and that is that you know the proponents of continuationism. Um, again, mostly I'm speaking to the hyper charismatic and Pentecostal movements, but by their actions, imply directly or indirectly that God's word and the preaching of the gospel are not adequate or sufficient. And that the church needs these additional divine, um, you know, divine information and miraculous signs and wonders to further validate God's mission in the world. And I think that's wrong. 
You know, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, people, in the Old Testament, God used signs and wonders to validate his messengers. Okay, in the apostolic era, he did the same thing. Okay, but after the scriptures were revealed uh, by these God-ordained individuals, the Holy Spirit continued his miraculous work on making dead hearts come alive, and he did that through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, and, and, and the miraculous signs to authenticate the gospel message were no longer needed. Okay, now as John, um, you know, 3.8 says, the Spirit is here now, and He brings life to whomever He wills. And so, yes, um, believe that God can do miracles, and that believe that God can work signs and wonders according to His will. But anyone who claims that they are an apostle, they're a prophet or a healer, or anyone who said, hey, I have a word from the Lord for you, um, be very, very weary of that. And, and sit down with them and in a spirit of gentleness and love and help, um, sit down with them and show them how their actions um, stand in opposition to the scriptures. And again, um, make room for miracles in your theology, even as a cessationist. Uh, these things do happen. Um, but again, this possession, this hyper-spiritual movement that's very congruent with our emotional era, we need to be cautious about that, and we need to be careful, and we need to understand a biblical theological understanding of spiritual gifts. So as always, guys, I'm going to leave you with several resources that'll help further this discussion for you, because, you know, 20-minute podcast. This one's probably a little bit longer, but 20-minute podcasts are never going to offer you the depth you need to fully grasp some of the topics that we hit on the show. So you're going to have to, at some point, put on your big boy or big girl pants and go get some of these resources and take a deeper dive so that you can actually comprehend the depths of these topics and defend them and stand for them and be convicted over something in terms of you're not just wishy-washy, you're not in the middle, you're not just ignorant. We are in the information age. We are flooded with constant you know, bombarding of different perspectives in the church. We need to have our theological status uh, concrete, anchored in the Word of God. And so pick up some of these resources. Watch some of these things. Take a deeper dive on some of these issues. Um, these are going to be available for you. This is episode number 132. You just go to relearn.org, go to podcast, and you can find that there. If you even type for spiritual gifts, it'll probably pop this episode up. The first resource I'm going to give you is an hour-long sermon uh, by Tom Pennington, who's the Dean of Master's Seminary in Dallas, of the distance location there. And he has a sermon called A Case for Cessationism. It's really thorough, great uh, piece of um, information for a one-hour segment. Um, there's a video, a short video that I mentioned earlier, Tom Schreiner uh, and the gift of modern pro our modern-day prophecy. It's just a short interview. 
John MacArthur did a four-minute video on cessation of spiritual gifts. I link that for you as well. Um, I have two books that I think you should check out. One is Spiritual Gifts, What They Are and Why They Matter by Tom Schreiner. He does a very good job of explaining this and creating a uh, theological defense for cessationism while not being rude to a continuationist perspective, uh, especially those that are on the conservative spectrum. Uh, but he does absolutely defend with uh, an incredible amount of scriptural support his position there. Another book that would have a similar um, endorsement from my from me is uh, Strange Fire. Uh, this is by Dr. MacArthur, and the subtitle is The Danger of Offending the Holy Spirit with Counterfeit Worship. Um, it's a really important book, I think, to read in this time, in this age, and being aware of the vast variety of spiritual interpretations on, or I should say interpretations on spiritual gifts and how we get back to scripture and looking at what the Bible says and why, what is valid and what is invalid. So those are all there available for you, uh, links for you on the website for, or on the episode post page for the show. So last things, guys, if you have not left a review yet, we are so close to passing 6,000 reviews for this show. Uh, it's probably, man, there's not many shows that have more um, ratings than, than we do. And it's just been a huge blessing. Uh, and it's actually what fuels the algorithms to allow the show to be found. And so in, in a very real way, your, your uh, review, just tapping the stars on... Uh, their podcast app, or just writing something um, is very helpful, and it actually uh, continues to make the podcast available and be easily found on uh, different platforms. So if you would do that, we would really appreciate that. Um, and if you guys don't already, follow our ministry, relearn.org, on uh, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. We are there constantly producing daily content that would be helpful and edifying for your journey. Also, you can follow me at Dale Partridge on Twitter, I'm putting out content on a pretty regular basis as well. On that note, thank you guys for being with me and spending this uh, last 20 to 30 minutes listening to this topic of spiritual gifts. Uh, I will see you guys next week on Real Christianity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Christianity. If you're a regular listener to this show, would you prayerfully consider making a donation to support our ministry efforts? Simply visit relearn.org forward slash donate. Again, that's relearn.org forward slash donate. And for those looking to explore the idea of joining or planting a church in your home, you can download our free PDF ebook titled The Basics of Biblical House Church by visiting relearn.org forward slash house. Lastly, do you have a theological question you would like answered on the show? Submit your question at relearn.org forward slash question. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Real Christianity. We will see you next Wednesday.